Welcome to Game On Girl. I'm your host, Dr. Regina McMenemy. In this episode, I talk with Doug Bass of Meriday Games. We discuss our love of board games, how board gaming has changed over the last decade, and his new game, Flicking Finches. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening to Game on Girl. For this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Doug Bass from Meriday Games. Doug is a board game designer and software developer currently living in North Carolina. He is a board game enthusiast extraordinaire, familiar with many different board game styles and genres. You may remember I interviewed Doug several years ago, maybe more than several, uh, almost almost 10 now, <laughs> yeah. um, about his game Garden Dice, which continues to be a favorite in my household. Doug is currently working on publishing a new game, Flicking Finches. The game design and artwork are by Yves Tournier. I'm excited to learn more about the game, the game publishing process, and soon-to-be-launched Kickstarter. Doug, welcome back to Game on Girl. Thank you, Regina. It has been a while. It's, it's been <laughs> nine years. It's been nine years. Yeah. It was. I know. I looked up the post as we were preparing to talk today, and I was like, 2012 was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I'm glad you're back. Well, thank you for having me. I really, I'm really excited to be talking to you again. Yeah, this is great. I was really excited to see uh, that you're working on a new game. So uh, for our for our listeners uh, who may not have been listening to the show nine years ago, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's give a little bit of background. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story and your geeky background. Okay. I don't know how, how, how far back shall I go? <laughs> ah, as far as you want. <laughs> okay. Well, I, um, I, in childhood, I grew up uh, playing games with my family. The, the typical games you might hear everyone else say, Monopoly, Trivial, Trivial Pursuit, Scrabble, those types of things. Um, I think I thought about it um, and my, my, my favorite game with my dad was Mastermind. Have you ever heard of that game? Oh yeah, I remember Mastermind. Wasn't that the? It's like a little. Uh, it's it's a like a tray, almost like a tray. Yeah, with I'm trying to think of the uh, Chinese checkers um, marbles, right? The kind, kind of, of the, I had plastic pieces in mind, but okay. yeah, you're trying to um, one one player's got a pattern, a color pattern that they've got hidden behind a shield. Right. And the other players, within 10 tries, I think you have to get it. Yeah. yeah. That was my favorite game with my dad. That's awesome. That's a good one. That's, I'm, I'm horrible at that game. <laughs> <laughs> I have not played that in, oh, I, I don't know how many years. I haven't played in a long time either. That's definitely a, f- a flashback. And with my sister, I'm not sure whether you would have heard of this one or not, but uh, I used to play a game called Dr. Livingstone, I presume, with my sister. I don't think I know that one. Uh, it's a kind of a, a game where you're traveling around the continent of Africa and you're you've got a kind of a folder with little tabs that you pull open as you go to each village in the continent. And it gives you hints as to where, where his location might be. And it ch- changes each time you play, you put a new sheet of paper behind the tabs. And we used to love that. So a little, that reminds me of a video game, Car- uh, Carmen Sandiego. No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. That's an old one. Yeah, it's an old. It, it's a TV show now on Netflix, but yeah, it was it was a video game, and you had it. Each the game came with an encyclopedia, and you had to like figure out like what country of the country selected import exported bananas or whatever. So you had to do like reading through. Right. Yes. Same type of idea. Yeah. I remember as far as video games go, we could talk about that briefly. I um. When I was a really young child, I remember my dad bringing home, uh, I guess it was for Christmas. We unwrapped it and it was the game Pong. Oh, yes. 
with the paddles and that's all it played right was it the one that just played that yeah, yeah that's all it played it was very very basic it was bright bright yellow and it had the paddles and thinking back on it i i is a different time but it was so exciting <laughs> yeah it's interesting too um i think you know so i have a i have a 7 year old daughter so um, it's very interesting to think about the level of exposure she's already had to video right. games compared to like, you know, what I played with or, you know, controllers, etc. Um, because like she like I had a bunch of educational games for her, like early reading games that were on my iPad. And um, she still kind of enjoys them, which is which I find really interesting. She's outgrown them for the oh, most yeah. part. Just the difference in like the tactile experience of having a touch screen right. versus like controllers. Like we have a Switch, so she plays on the Switch now too, and she's learned that as well. But um, but there was a transition for her which we never would have gone through because we didn't go from touch screens to controllers, or you know, we went from controllers to touch right, screens. Right, right, right. Yep. So, um, spent a lot of time in the arcade playing games like Moon Patrol, uh, Joust, Tempest, Dragon's Lair. I thought about it. And those are, those were my favorites, I think. My favorite, uh, classic arcade game remains, um, is Pac-Man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that too. Yeah. I loved, I still love it. If they, if I go to a retro arcade, which, you know, I haven't done for over a year, um, <laughs> because of the pandemic, but in those, in those environments, that's the game I'm always looking for. And I love when I can find the, um, the table, do you remember the table version where you can oh, yes. sit at the table with the controller? At the Pizza Hut. Yes. At the Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one yeah <laughs> yeah definitely remember that and then um i don't know what console it was i had but i played um one game that i really loved was lost vikings oh. it was a console game where you're controlling simultaneously controlling three vikings and one one can jump one can use his shield to block enemies and one can use his sword to attack enemies and you have to alternate the you can only control one of the three Vikings at a time, and you have to oh. kind of walk around a maze to get to position yourself with the correct Viking. Cool, that's fun. That's super fun. Yeah, there were there was so much. I mean, not that there isn't creativity now as well, but there was so much. I don't know, just innovation and creativity that was you know in those early games. It, it was it was new. Yes, and we didn't care that the graphics were bad because we didn't know any better. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, uh, then I got into high school and started learning computer programming. My parents gave me a, it was probably the best Christmas present I ever got, was a computer. Uh, I think everybody else was getting a Commodore 64, and my parents gave me a TI-99 4A, oh. and I learned how to program on it. I joined a... Uh, a local user group and the guy who ran the users group was a programmer and he taught me how to program. So I spent my time before I started meeting girls, I've spent my time programming that computer trying to code the video games that I enjoyed playing uh, onto the computer. What? So would, would that have been basic that you would have been working on then? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I learned basic on my. I didn't have a Commodore sixty four. I had a Commodore VIC twenty, which was oh, like okay. the one a step behind uh, before the the sixty four, I think. And my mom bought that one because it was on clearance. Because oh, okay. <laughs> the sixty four was out, and she's like, "Oh, we'll get this one." And and I would sit for hours on the TV with that. Learned how to program, you know, and make the bouncing ball. And I think the because I had it came with a book to learn the programming and I was going step by step. And then I just skipped to like the hardest one at the very uh-huh. end, which was an entire screen of hearts that were um, uh, rainbows. They, they turned rainbow colors and that was, that was the big finale. Oh, nice. um, but I remember doing that multiple times because there was no save. There was no memory on those. Like, <laughs> like you couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't save and go back to it. I just, you know, I couldn't do it and then like go back and do it again. I had to like re-enter the code over and over again because there was no memory. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember 
learning how to, I don't know how I found found this out, but I learned how to program the, the touchtone sounds that a phone makes. And I could play the touchtone so- sounds through my uh, speakers. And I used that to, to quickly dial the radio station when they were having contests. To- oh, nice. What a hack. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hack right there. You needed to have the push button phone, though. You couldn't have the rotary for that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we had a rotary phone for much of my adolescence. So I think I was a teenager before we actually got a push button phone. Okay. But yeah. So did you continue with like board games then or did it kind of, cause I had like a whole time in my life that like board games kind of dropped off and there were still like, you know, those standard games that I hate and don't play anymore, like Monopoly or risk. Um, now that I know a little bit more about board games, I think they're really poorly designed. Right. Games. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't, I played, um, sorry with my nephew uh, a couple of years ago and I just don't understand how that was fun. But when I was a kid, well, it's, it's so funny because, um, a friend, a family friend gave my daughter Candyland cause I wasn't going to buy anything of those old games. Um, and so we got an old, and it's an old, you know, copy that they had like at her house. And, uh, and now I understand why nobody wanted to play those <laughs> games with me. Like my brothers are 20 years older than me. And I'm like, come play Candyland. And they're like, ah, I'm going to teach you blackjack. <laughs> so right. like, I learned how to play blackjack. And now I'm playing Candyland with my daughter. And I'm like, oh, this is excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, there was a long uh, period in between playing games as a child and then rediscovering them as an adult. I mm-hmm. guess when I started playing video games at the arcade and learning computer programming, I sort of no longer played board games at all. I, I mean, ex- except on probably very rare occasions. Right. But then I had uh, in the about 2004, a friend, a really good friend of mine. I'm not sure how he discovered Board Game Geek, but uh, he discovered Board Game Geek and bought a game called Runebound and introduced me to that game. And I was just blown away. It's so different than the than the games that I grew up playing. I haven't played Runebound. I know of it, but I haven't played yeah, it. Yeah, we've. He, he had the first edition back in 2004. It's a game where you're um, instead of going through a dungeon, you're going through like the countryside. It is roll and move uh, in a different sort of way, but um, you move through a hex map and you have encounters with. Um, oh gosh, I wish I could remember the names of the the villains, but. It you know you could equip yourself with gear. You could hire allies to help you. Mm. It was just so much more involved. So much more intricate. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah. we played that, and then he told me about Board Game Geek, and I looked on Board Game Geek, and I don't know how I found it, but I ran across Tigris and Euphrates, and played that, and then that it was basically all over then i just was totally hooked from that point forward from around 2004 till now so you've seen pretty much the evolution or like the the emergence or the popularity that sort of like has come up like i i didn't i'm trying to remember exactly when i got into european style games and i think it was maybe 2010 or 2011 uh-huh maybe 2009 at the earliest that I started playing. Like I've been introduced to Catan and um, Small World. I think we're two of the first. Ticket to Ride. Those three stand out for me as the first sort of breaking away from traditional board games. I had played some miniature games, um, War Machine, um, and some sort of like intricate kind of D&D inspired right you know, games like that, but to get into, into those games, those are the three that I remember being kind of the emergent games for me. And that would have been, you know, five or six years after you had already gotten started in it. Okay. I'm trying to think back of what my first games were besides Tigris and Euphrates. I war of the ring was one back from that time period. Um, I guess stone age came a little bit later. Catan definitely played that. 
uh, interesting story around 2008, that friend, that same friend of mine lost interest in board games and he got on a health craze. So, I mean, good for him, but I didn't know anybody who played board games um, other than him, uh, these modern board games. So I, I started a gaming group on on the meetup.com. I just put it out there and scheduled an event and seven strangers came to my house one evening and it fortunately worked out. Um, the five of them were new to gaming. Two of the people who came, it was a couple, and they were familiar with the modern Euro-style games, and they brought some, and I had maybe three or four yeah. at that time. And <laughs> I think uh, you think about it now, right? Because I can see your board game, like at least I'm assuming some of your shelves behind you and <laughs> your video here is for recording. Uh, yeah. And I think about my shelves, like where they were in like 2010 when I had, you know, three or four games. And now when I have this giant, you know, hutch filled with games now that right. I have, I have a whole collection i call the games in exile which are the games that i don't want to get rid of but we don't play very often so i don't have them at ready access so (laughs) Catan is one of those games yeah i have that same thing i didn't know that's what it's called but i have the same thing (laughs) that's what i called it that's a my joke was i put these games in exile because we don't play them anymore that's very appropriate yes like it can be over there and you know i don't don't want to get rid of you, but when we don't, we don't grab you. We don't tend to grab you, so you can be out here. But it's funny to think, you know, we did all start with just you know, like two or three games. Yeah, yep. and it's right now. I'm in a phase where I'm trying to pare down my collection a little bit. It just got uh, probably five years ago. It got out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much. St- there's so much out there now. <laughs> I know you can't keep up. <laughs> No, I think the big turning, one of the big turning points for me. So, you know, my interest started and then I started to find local game stores. Um, and there was kind of a, a, a the, the, I think of the collectible card games like Pokemon and Magic or whatnot as kind of predating some of the, the big resurgence or the big influx of European games. Um, those stores started to switch into being more, um, box games as opposed to just card games. And so some of those kind of changed a little bit. So I started going to some local game stores. One of the big turning points for me, though, in the popularity, or at least my tracking of the popularity of board games, is when Target started selling them. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it's this like slow creep of the back wall of the toy section that like, Oh, a ticket to ride showed up or, you know, some other you know, games. And now you go back there and I'm like, oh, this is almost as good as like a small board game store would be. Right. I still prefer to shop at my local board game store. But, you know, <laughs> 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 it was just like, OK, well, this has definitely hit a stride that, you know, I don't know if I completely expected. Yeah, it's exploded. Yeah. And I mean, just to that point, that uh, game group I started in 2008 that ha- started with eight members it now has i looked the other day it has 700 oh, not wow. active but you know yeah. we have 700 people over time have been been a member yeah i really do feel like it's one of the it's a great way to bring people together and i think um when we were talking about you know getting together to record this and you're like i don't play video games and i'm like i don't really play video games either <laughs> anymore <laughs> i have i have a switch and i do play animal crossing and i play some stuff with my daughter but for the most part if i'm going to game i want to be around you know my people in order to do it and not a lot of modern video games they're more about sitting you sitting alone in front of your computer which um, especially since the beginning of the pandemic, all I do is sit alone in front of my computer and work now. So. Right, right. <laughs> Getting out from behind the screen is more of a drive, I think. Board games are good for that. They definitely are. Did you have a hard time like during the pandemic not being able to get together with people to game? Did you have like any changes in like gameplay? Um, I didn't get together uh, nearly as often. Um, when I did get together, it, it wasn't the gr- gaming group. It was having having two or three friends over on a 
infrequent basis. The group yeah. kind of transitioned to playing online games. So that's what they were doing. Yeah, because you can play a lot of on Steam and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I tried it and didn't like it as much. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I did play some with them. But uh, definitely it suffered during during the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't had like a big, just focused game day. Yeah. Um, hoping to plan some this summer so we can get like my group together and we can we can dig cool. in. Um, I've tended to focus on buying on looking at games that were good for two players over, right. Um, right? You know, the last year and making sure we had a good collection of games that were good for two people. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's about it for my background. I mean, that brings us kind of up to the current day um i uh my uh, other hobby is um listening to music that's my i mean it's equally important to me oh i think you had mentioned that you like you have a vinyl collection yes i do i do i have, um, I have a rather large vinyl collection myself now <laughs> ah nice yes nice i like that i like that that to me is like an uh, analogous to playing games because you're handling the records and you're putting the needle down on the record it's very tactile it's a tactile experience yeah Yeah. that's the same thing of you know playing board games on a tablet or playing on steam it's nice that you can play i did that quite a bit too during the pandemic where i played with friends um on steam to you know to be able to continue to play yeah but I did miss a tactile experience of setting up the game of, you know, for, I don't, you know, everybody, everybody's groups are different, but we always have other conversations that are going on and people are eating and people are, you know, right. kind of just hanging out and doing things and, right. you know, missing, missing those components. I think it's a similar to, you know, listening to vinyl. I feel it has the same, the same experience. And my, my vinyl collection is actually my brother's. He passed away a couple of years ago. And so, um, thank you. He, it's his collection. So he really wanted my daughter to be able to be exposed to lots of music. And he had a very wide, um, interest in music. So there's lots of different genres and things that I don't know that I would have been exposed to that way. And I, I find games to be the same way. Um, my favorite game, small game store, you know, you would walk in and one of the owners would be like, hey, come try this game with us. And like totally new to them and like pulling it out and everybody's kind of learning and processing it together. So, right, right. It creates that shared experience. Right. So what's in heavy rotation for you right now? What have you been playing a lot of? I've been playing a lot of Azul and Dune Imperium. All right. I haven't played Dune. I love, like, which Azul are you playing, though? Because there's, like, four. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> just, the, just the basic one, the, the, the first one that came out. I, so I, that was with the white, the white tiles with the designs on them, right? And you're making, um, like, actual, like, floor tiles. I'm trying to remember what the... Yeah, they're, they're colored tiles. But, yeah, you, you're trying to um, cover... I don't know that it's a floor or a wall, but you are trying to arrange them uh, in a in the pattern five by five pattern. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of that. Um, I've introduced it to my wife and to my mother, and they both love it. Um, nice. So I've been playing a lot of that with family, and then with friends, I've been getting trying to get Dune Imperium to the table as as much as possible i really love that game awesome that's good to hear i love the dune series the the book series so well this uh i guess the artwork from this is 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 artwork that's going to be in the from the new movie okay i'm not positive about that but i that's what i've been told yeah i think i remember reading that too and looking at it i don't i don't have it yet um but it's been on my radar as well i know it's a very meaty game it's good yeah yeah it's a combination of deck building and worker placement and it's really well done those are my two favorite genres so it's probably right up my alley (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah, you should get it then. Yeah. It's a good it's well done. I just got for my birthday I got Viticulture. Have you played Viticulture? I've played yes, I've played that. Yeah, yeah. I'm we're really that's that's big right now, Viticulture. I mean my birthday was only a couple weeks ago, so it's like it's like brand new still. Yeah. That's worker placement, isn't it? It's worker placement, yeah. Yeah. And then 
and it has cards too. So I guess the cards are more mechanic. I I, th- I think of it more um, along the lines of Lords of Waterdeep. Right. It seems kind of a similar to that. Slightly more sophisticated mechanics in it. Right. I also should give them props because I found I so I I find a lot of times the um, instruction manuals to games to be not terribly well written. <laughs> uh-huh. And as someone with a technical writing. It, you know, expertise, I tend to be highly critical of them. Right. But Viticulture had some really nicely written instructions. I felt like we got, you know, a pretty clear understanding of it. That's that's always nice. I know what you're talk, talking about. It helps a lot. So over the last year, Lost Cities was big. We played a lot of Lost Cities. Right. Yeah, I played a fair amount of that myself. That's a good two player. Yeah, I really like I really enjoy that one, um, especially once we discovered there was an app for scoring it on your phone. Oh, is there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Both Android and iOS, so <laughs> Yeah, the scoring in that game is very wonky. It is very wonky. It is very weird. It has a lot of kind of weird mechanics to it. So, and the one I was wondering if you had played that I think is some really interesting game mechanics is called Cartographers. No, I have not. Okay. Tell me about it. Cartographers is you're actually a map maker. That's like what you're doing. And the whole game is about like drawing. Essentially, you're drawing a map. And so each card has like um, a Tetris like piece and you have to put that on your map and there are different scoring conditions that change there's like four seasons that you play and in each season the scoring conditions change so maybe a row of trees will score you a lot of points in one season but won't the next Um, but connecting you know water to meadows will score the next so you have different terrain types and different shapes that you're trying to like connect together on this you know card I've just never seen anything like it. Well, I'm going to have to check that out because if I weren't a software developer, the two professions that I have thought about were cartography, which I don't know if there's a, whether there are cartographers anymore, but (laughs) cartography and um, architecture. So I have to check it out. Yeah, you'll love this. I think you'll really enjoy it. You should check it out. Yeah, it's really neat too, because it says, you know, from, you know, to I think it says from one to 99 players like because you all take your turn at the same time like nice all you need is is you know one of the map one of the piece of map papers right um that come with it and it has a little role playing so you like name your cartographer and you give them a title and you it has a little crest and we always draw a little picture in the crest and you know we make lots of jokes as we go along about it <laughs> but you know that creates a little amount of fun but the game mechanic, I, I haven't seen anything like it where you actually like t- take, you know, pencil and you always want to use a pencil because you inevitably end up erasing like, oh, wait, I can score better if I put this over here. Right. <laughs> and you still end up, it's it's a little like Tetris in that, you know, how you played Tetris and you were waiting for that long skinny piece to show up that was going to finish like your big thing on the side or wherever it was you're still waiting for like that piece or a little corner piece to show up that's going to get you just what you need to be so yeah it didn't it was really interesting because looking at it we're like i don't know if this is going to be fun and then once we started playing it was like oh this is so much fun speaking of tetris did you and two player games have you tried patchwork yes yes I love Patchwork. Yeah, that's good. That's that that game is one that um, the strategy kind of breaks my brain sometimes, where I have to like really concentrate mm-hmm. on it. And I love that about it. And it's yeah. so cute. Yes, it is. Yeah, I haven't played that recently, but that that's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. What other? I had another two player game I was thinking of. I went through my list. Um, nope, that was it. Oh, San Juan for Puerto Puerto Rico and San Juan. But San Juan being the two the two person version. I think I've played that. Yeah, I think Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is pretty pretty old, right? Hasn't it been around for a while? Yeah, um, I remember that from that friend I was telling you about. Um, two thousand four. It, it's at least that old, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely goes back that way. So uh, before we get kind of just lost in all of our talking about our favorite board games, which has been so much fun, <laughs> I don't want to like miss talking about flicking finches. Yeah. So tell me about the new project. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
This is a game by um, Eve, Eve Turney in um, Canada. And I learned about Flicking Finches. Hmm, we're going to have to go back to 2012 again, I think. It's about that old. Wow. Um, I learned about it then. It was actually going to be a stretch goal for another game of his called Top This. Okay. And Top This is a pizza flicking game where you're flicking ingredients across. Oh, trying to like get them on a pizza? Yeah, trying to get them on a slice. Nice. You know, you might have an order for a pepperoni and mushroom. That was his game. And I backed that game on Kickstarter. Right. And Flicking Finches was going to be a stretch goal if they achieved a certain amount. And they didn't get that amount, unfortunately. But I contacted Eve later on because I just, I wanted that stretch goal. That's what I wanted. I wanted that more than top this, I think. <laughs> and so I was just like, this game has got to be made. Oh, that's awesome. Flicking Finches. So um, I got in touch with Eve and he um, was, you know, happy to have me do the publishing for it. So he did the, he redid the art. Um, so the art that you're going to see uh, on the Kickstarter is all new. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working with a graphic designer to get the rule book formatted and the um, the box formatted and all that goes into that. Right, and all the little pieces. But I'm just in love with this game. Yeah, um, it's so fun. I mean, it's not it's not a Euro game, but it's a surprising amount of strategy. You'd be surprised when you play it that there is strategy to it. Well, I mean, those are the games. I think I said that about garden dice as well that one of the things i loved about garden dice was it it seems really it seems really straightforward right like really kind of direct and and i like i think i mentioned to you in our email exchanges i can't remember i taught it to my daughter and you know she's seven so she's you know shouldn't have a whole lot of patience for games that run too long yet but she really enjoys it and she loves gardening she the idea of it oh nice and she loves using the um, the bunny and the bird. Like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Mostly, I think because of the cute pictures. Right, right. But you know, she likes the 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 mechanic too. But she really likes you know being able to kind of kind of play it. But I have found over the years that that garden dice is it perpetuates because there is. Uh, you know, strategy to it that you don't see first. Like you can take your first blush at it and you're like, oh, this is fun, cute. And then once you kind of dig into it and you're like, okay, wait, wait, there is a lot more here I can play with. Right. And I love games that surprise me like that, that have this like, oh, I really enjoyed this. Oh, but wait, if I think about this a little more, I can get even deeper into it. And I always love that kind of like deceptively simple you know, thing. That's that's how Flicking Finches is. Um, I have played it many times, but I um, demoed it at a convention. We actually had a convention here about a month ago, I think. And uh, they allowed me to demo Flicking Finches. The convention's name is Recon. Um, it's in Kernersville, Car North Carolina. But they allowed me to demo Flicking Finches. And some of the players were doing things that I strategy-wise that I um, hadn't thought of myself, you know, had never seen done before. So I was just, oh, nice. it was interesting that right. this game is, it's, um, there's more to it than just flicking discs around the mat. Right, right. So your daughter may enjoy it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm. Th I think I'm sure she will. And I've I looked at the the artwork, and um, I think she'll appreciate that as well. Um, she's very into a series of books right now called Who Was, and then insert like famous person. I think she has Who Was Darwin as well. So okay, it's Darwin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's an evolution mechanic in the game where you can your finches have different traits. Like small beaks, large beaks, stripes, solid bodies, big finches, little finches. And you can evolve your discs by switching them out. Um, and the reason you want to do that is because Darwin, at any given time in the game, is only interested in sketching one particular type of finch. Oh. And that changes as you play the right, game. As the game moves. As you play the game. So you might have to evolve your finches so that he's interested in you as opposed to your opponents. Oh. So interesting. A little tricky. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it does it's 
mildly educational in that way. Right. Yeah. Start start the discussion about evolution anyway. Yeah. I like sneaky. I like sneaky uh, education. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sneaky education. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> We'll sneak this in. Well, I mean, I was talking about some of those apps that my daughter played, and she didn't understand she was learning phonics when she was playing it. Oh, okay. I knew she was learning phonics, right? right? <laughs> but she's just like, oh, these are fun sounds. Match these sounds, you know. And They you know. tell me that they don't teach that anymore. Is that true? Um. I think that they do somewhat. I'm not really sure. Um, She kind of went through a, you know, she went through a Montessori school, so they take kind of a different approach to pretty much everything. I see. Um, But they still did a lot of sounding out and um, some phonetical understandings. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. It was, it's been really interesting. She just, so she's seven. She just finished first grade and she, she just had like, just had all of the reading click together and I just watched it like over the last few months of of first grade she's been reading for a while but like to have it where it was no longer a struggle for her like this switch just flipped and all of a sudden oh nice she can just she just looks at things and reads them and I'm like oh that feeling like I I I know she doesn't really recognize it but watching it from the outside right was really amazing because she just went from like still sounding things out to just being able to look at them and read them and I was like oh I saw this I talked to her teacher about it she's like oh yeah it all just settled in for her it's coming naturally now yeah exactly to that that feeling that that a certain a certain amount of mastery there i think that she was kind of struggling with um but now she she'll just pick up these little books and read them and we're you know going through some other books too so anyway that was kind of a digression um but (laughs) somewhat relevant um yeah. So tell me a little bit. Let's talk a little bit of like what. So what's the so with Flicking Finches, the game already existed. You 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 found out about it through um, the other Kickstarter. But what's the process of making a board game or designing a board game like? Like how do you go from like putting an idea for a game together to designing it to testing to kickstarting? Well, you don't have to do all that at once, though. <laughs> Well, the I don't know what Eve's design process is. Um, the do you want me to talk about more about publishing or talk about like when I was designing Garden Dice or the other games that I've worked on? Uh, you can talk about uh, Garden Dice and the other games that you taught that you've like yeah, where you know a little bit more about the the like beginning to end. Well, I've designed Garden. I designed Garden Dice and pub, self-published that one, and I've designed two other games that I consider to be ninety to ninety-five percent complete. And with all three of them, I started with a like a single idea and made mechanic out of that. And then with Garden Dice, I started with a mechanic of the first mechanic that. I had it with garden dice was rolling dice as coordinates to place a tile. Mm-hmm. And then from there I added, I began adding other ways to use the dice to manipulate the tiles, Right, flipping them, buying them, placing them, harvesting them. So I just started with an initial idea and then added comp- what I felt like were complementary mechanics to that. Mm-hmm. With the other two, it started more of a as more with a theme that I then started slowly adding uh, mechanics to, and I tried to uh, worker placement as we talked about earlier is one of my favorite mechanics too. Right. And so one of the the other two games is called Cabriole, and it has a it's definitely a worker placement game. Mm-hmm. But then I started adding in some drafting mechanics to that. And it's about creating furniture. Oh. So I, I like unique themes. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's been any games out there about creating, about uh, crafting furniture. I don't think so. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, at least. I mean, there are 100,000 games in the the, 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 right. the BGG database. So maybe there are, maybe there is one. <laughs> well, the only thing I can think about is, isn't there a game called Guillotine? But that's about building a guillotine. So that doesn't seem quite the same. <laughs> no, it's not quite the same. <laughs> but I think, you know, when you design game, when I design games anyways, I, tr- I 
focus on mechanics that I already understand well, mm-hmm. I would not be good at trying to create a deck builder. Right. I, I do understand deck building, but I think that's probably one of the hardest to design. Yeah, I often think about or often wonder in terms of the process, like when I'm playing a game and I'll use I'll use viticulture as my example since it's the most present in my mind right now. Of like the overarching like like how do you I know balance in, in board games is important and video games is important too. So like trying to figure out like the balance between like how many cards of a different type you get and you know how often you can draw and how many cards you can hold in your hand and right. and how those choices impact so much of the game that you might not realize until you like sit down to play. I don't know. Like, I don't like, <laughs> I feel like there's some science involved or some yeah. statistics that you'd have to kind of understand for even card numbers, you know, in a deck. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of math behind a lot of those games mm-hmm. and a lot smarter people than me are the ones creating them. But um, you're right. It's, it's, trying to get that the game balanced is really important when you're creating a euro game yeah because anyone have enough mechanics for it to be interesting and not overwhelming unless you know unless you're going for overwhelming which i sometimes feel like some games do but oh yeah i have a couple of those we tried to play a friend of mine gifted me uh, one friend of mine gifted me the same game twice <laughs> he, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> uh, the game of thrones like there's a meaty like game of thrones game and we set it up once and that was like the entirety of it we never actually played it because <laughs> we were so annoyed with how long the setup of it took <laughs> oh really yeah, because wow. it was just so intense and took so long. By the time we got it set up, it was like, ah, we're done. <laughs> and that's 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 not a great thing, right? Like if, you know, yeah, you have dedicated gamers and it takes so long to put the, just the basic, right. you know, setup of the game together. Right. And, and drive people away. I guess I don't have any great insights other than that uh, on the mm-hmm. design process other other than, you know, just lots of playtesting. Um, Garden Dice, I, I will still play it, but I have played, no lie, like 300 times. <laughs> did you, when you were first playtesting it, did you change things? Like as people, like when the first people who were playing it, did it change as you like played it? Yes, yes. Um, I think the the way the bird and the um, the rabbit rabbit work changed changed many times. Mm. The um, multipliers that are on the board changed um, during the process. Um, you know, n- there were more spaces that had more. Mul- you know, there were more multiplier spaces. See, that's part of the balance, right? Like figuring out. Yeah. Yeah. Pla- I-, I like to, pl- you know, be involved in the playtesting. I haven't had much luck with blind playtesting. I don't do that too often. Yeah, but I would imagine you'd get more out of it watching, like you said, fl- flicking finches. You were watching people play, and you saw strategies you hadn't really considered. Right. Right. But see, I was a lot of the time I was playing with them as well. So I was, you know, part of the game. It's definitely helpful to have lots of playtesting to help work out the kinks. And it's also a way to get fresh ideas from people, um, particularly with one of the games that I was working on called Monster Maris. The gamers that I would play with um, came up with just all kinds of cool ideas to add to the game but you got to be careful because then you start you start in trying to incorporate too much of those too fast and you end up with a different game right yeah so or you overwhelm the mechanics that you're yes you know right that you're wanting for the game because you come up with a bunch of variations so right you can kind of run off of it right yeah so with garden dice though i um I eventually came to the point where I realized I was just tweaking things back and forth and back and forth. And I just came to the realization, I just have to call it good enough or done and start on the the march to publishing it. Okay. I started designing Garden Dice around 2009 and I started the march to publish around 2011. That sounds about right. About two years of, of just kind of like process. And I think uh, around 2000, 
2011 is when Belfort came out. Um, I don't know if you've played that or not. It's a it's a worker placement game by um, Jay Cormier, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Jay Cormier and um, Sen Fung Lim, and it's a worker placement game. It's kind of got an elves, dwarves, gnomes theme to it. Um, it's really fun. It's still one of my favorites. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because the artist for that game, Josh Capel, is. I liked the art for Belfort, so that's how I approached Josh to do the art for Garden Dice. And that was kind of the first step in getting it published was before I did anything else, finding finding art. And Josh was experienced, so he helped, helped me kind of learn the ropes. He had uh, designed a game called Wasabi. I don't know that he published that himself or not. Anyway, he was a huge help. Choosing him was definitely the right decision. And you're talking about rule books earlier. He edited my rule book. Your rule book is a great one. <laughs> I know. It's because Josh did it. <laughs> and I'm a harsh critic, so. <laughs> it's because Josh took my boring, dry rule book and made it dynamic and interesting and engaging. Yeah. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, and I got hooked up with Panda Game Manufacturing, who were very helpful in every step of the way. Are they are they working on uh, flicking finches with you too? No, they're not. I'm working with a different company on flicking finches. Okay. It's called Magicraft, and they're good. They're good as well. Um, so I'm I've been working closely with them since about January, getting everything ready so that if this Kickstarter is successful, which I'm hoping it is because I want everyone to be able to play Flicking Finches, I'm confident that they'll do a great job with the game. So what's so is, is the Kickstarter is like getting to the Kickstarter and running the campaign some of the most challenging parts of this? Or I mean if you have an idea, you have the publisher and you have the art because the art came from the the game designer too. So like some of the struggles or hurdles you might have had with garden dice you might not have had here. Like where where is kind of that hard like where is that hard the hard stuff or what's where are the challenge I suppose there's challenges in every aspect, but for flicking finches, I initially wanted to wanted it to be in a larger box than it's going to be. Oh, okay. But it just turned out that that was going to be the wrong decision for many, many reasons, not the least of which is it might not fit on gamers' bookshelves <laughs> <laughs> or retailers' bookshelves. So right? yeah. I decided to go with the standard ticket-to-ride size box. Okay. One thing you have to consider is, you know, just the logistics of packing the yep. games and where yeah um, what they're going to fit what the board size is going to be right yeah right yep i i will tell you i curse forbidden island and forbidden desert every time i put them away in my case <laughs> you don't like the tins the, I, nothing stays on top of them because they're embossed right oh right right they are so so they become a problem <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, I do think about that. They have to sit on top. Yeah, they have to either sit on top or if I'm really good, I can stack them next to each other and put a couple on top of the two because uh, they're wide enough for kind of like lost cities or whatnot, you know, that size to go on top of them. Right. Um, if they're next to each other. So it's the flatter, you know, side as opposed to the top with the, but then they don't sit really next to each other because the beveling kind of, you know, the embossing. On right. I love the tins for the aesthetic of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the practicality of putting them in my game cabinet and things roll off them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of decisions that go into that. Like garden dice, I chose the 10 inch by 10 inch box so that it would fit in a 12 inch by 12 inch carton for shipping. Oh, right. Because the postal rates go up as soon as you get over 12 inches. That's 12, yeah. So that's why that game is that size. Um, oh, interesting. Flicking finches needs to be larger because of the mats. Because of the board. Yeah. And the, yeah, the mechanics, I'm sure, are flicking. Yeah. yeah. You need a larger board. You need a little bit more space. Yeah. God, all the things I wouldn't have thought about. I think, I mean, I think about it when I put the games away. <laughs> yeah. You would definitely be cursing flicking finches if it didn't fit on your shelf. So 
I don't want that. Yeah, I have a reasonably large cabinet, but um, but I still have struggle with. Um, for Christmas, I got a Lord of the Rings adventure game. It's a little like Betrayal at House on the Hill, where you build the map as you're playing, and you have an app. So you have an app you play with, and you build the map based on what the app tells you, what uh-huh. pieces the app tells you to play. Right. But it is also larger than normal. It's square, so it's not like longer than normal, but this, the height of the box is different. And so oh, okay. it, it, ups, it upsets the order too. Right, right. <laughs> One of the challenges that I'm having with Flicking Finches is I've got you know, some stretch goals planned, but trying to decide the best order to... Um, How to release them in. yeah. That is, we'll just see how that all, I got six <laughs> days to figure that yeah. out, but I'm getting close. You'll get it. You'll get it started. So the Kickstarter launches on July 13th. That's right. Tuesday morning, um, I guess 6 a.m. your time. Yep. 9 a.m. for Eastern time. Yep. Yep. We'll make sure to have everybody go check it out then. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Doug. This has been really enjoyable. I'm really looking forward to flicking finches i will be backing no problem <laughs> oh well thank yes. you thank you eve even i both thank you i'm looking forward to it is there anything else you want um our listeners to kind of know about or to check out uh, there's going to be some videos video reviews released uh in the coming days leading up to the um, launch so you can definitely check those out to get a good idea of whether the game's for you. But I would en- encourage you to remember that it's definitely got some strategy to it as well as the the uh, flicking fun. So it it it's it sounds very whimsical. It's one of the things that I I love about it. And I feel that way a little about Garden Dice too. There's a there's a touch of whimsy to it and I, I love whimsical games. I love themes that are kind of fun and light and so and like you said, this one has kind of a secret or sneaky educational component to it, too. Right, so right. I think those are great combination of, of characteristics. Good luck. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Such a pleasure to chat with Doug again. Make sure to check out Flicking Finches on Kickstarter. The link is in the episode description. What games are in heavy rotation for you these days? Have you played any childhood games that just didn't stand the test of time? Let me know on Twitter at DocLizWithTwoZs. Thanks for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!